Hello, hello, hello. It's your favourite podcaster here. My name is Kikemaro Nkeji, that is Dr. Kikemaro Nkeji PhD, for those of you who don't know. Today I'm going to be talking about doing a series of podcasts that I hope will be very beneficial to you. I've titled it The Woke Person's Guide to Wealth Creation. So it's called The Woke Person's Guide to Wealth Creation. And on here, I'm going to be listing 10 rules. So today I'll be talking about the first rule. The first rule is basically work with yourself. Work with yourself. Before I go ahead, I must state this disclaimer just in case I mention anything that's to do with money just to cover myself. So disclaimer goes, I am not a financial expert or advisor, neither do I claim to be one. The examples I use are provided for general information purposes only to illustrate my point and their use does not constitute any advice of any sort, whether financial or otherwise. So here's the thing. Here's what I believe. I believe that before you can start to create wealth, you must understand who you are as a basis for managing that wealth. Psychology is very important in everything you do in life, no less true than in making money. I once heard someone say that to the person who believes that he can and to the person who believes that he can't, both individuals are right. Do you get it? Do you believe you can do it? It could be being successful. It could be being influential. It could be being a philanthropist. It could be being wealthy. Whatever it means to you, you must believe that you have the capability to achieve anything you set your heart to. So your determination comes from how you work your mind. So it's very important. Your mind is very, very important in this whole thing. In this whole thing of trying to create wealth, your mind is very important. In order to complete a project, here's an example now, 75% is usually dedicated to designing the solution. Once that is in place, the mechanics of executing it is only about 25%. So from my engineering background, because I'm an engineer, I used to work as a stress engineer for an aeronautical engineering company. So as a stress engineer, it's nothing to do with mental stress, but it's more to do with material stress. So, for example, in the design of a mug or a cup, the highest stress area is usually the handle where you hold it, as it is the most likely area for fracture or damage to occur. So a lot of the stress analysis will be done on that part just to see what kind of loads Um, What's the maximum load that you can place on that handle? Now, my job was to conduct stress analysis on engineering components in order to certify that an aircraft could fly with that small dent or damage to it. The bulk of the work was really on me to find that area on the computer because we've got a computer model and I've got to basically identify that area where the damage is and also look at the loads that are acting on that area. Then work out with the new damage if it's a hole or whatever it is, if the loads are going to adversely affect that part. So most engineering designs have tolerances and margins of safety. So as long as my calculations are within that margin of safety, then I can give the go ahead and say, yes, it's okay to fly that part. Mind you, this could take a few hours. It could take several hours because once I've done my calculations, I've got to put them in a report. Then I've got to pass it on to the chief engineer who then says, okay, he's delighted with it. And before I can then send it to the customer and then give the go ahead that yes, they can fly 
aircraft with that damage or whatever it is. So the point I'm trying to make here is that it could take several hours in order to come to that decision, which a ground engineer only takes a few minutes or a technician takes a few minutes to okay the part at their end. Therefore, 75% of the work would have been done by me in order for the ground engineer to okay that aircraft. Or another example is for your smartphone device. Like a lot of people might think to themselves, why does it cost hundreds of pounds for this little thing, this small device? But it's basically the work that has gone into it. Like you've got different teams. Like I've never worked in a smartphone development company before, but I just imagine that there'll be various teams. There'll be teams that are dealing with the design, teams that are dealing with the testing, teams that are dealing with the non-destructive testing, teams that are dealing with, you know, if the device falls into water and making sure that it's still functional. You know, there will be so many teams and that money that you pay for your smartphone device has gone into paying the labour cost of all these small teams. I know you might think, okay, but what about those in the factory putting the parts together? Well, by the time the components get into the factories or the manufacturing houses, no, by the time the phones, the phone parts get into the factories where they assemble it, that stage is already done. That stage, you've already got a complete product. So there's no more thinking. There's no more analysis. There's no more analytical. There's no more analytical thinking in trying to bring the components together. Everything is now functioning. So all the people in the workshop have got to do now is to just put piece it all together. So it's like a puzzle. They're piecing it all together. So hence why their payments is usually lower compared to the engineer or the inventors that have actually created that project. So essentially, my example is telling you that 75% of the success of anything you put your heart to has got to do with the initial planning, the initial thinking about it. Once you've thought about it and you can see it and you're able to put it on paper, then 25% execution is all that's required. So the hard work you've essentially done. So once you've done the 75%, you should pat yourself on the back and be quite delighted because you're nearing, you're nearing the completion of whatever it is you set your heart to. So bringing it back to this discussion, the bulk of your time should be spent on establishing the right psychology for creating wealth or becoming successful. You may know some unscrupulous wealthy people that people whisper behind their backs about. They may have the money, but they don't have the respect. People have no respect for such individuals. Or maybe you've read about the case of lottery winners who squandered all their wealth. And I put this down to not having developed the right psychology. For example, let's say a person was playing the lottery. Please, I'm not an advocate of playing the lottery as the odds are nine possible for me. Something like one in 14 million. I'd rather stake my chances on better odds than that. So say a person wrote um, a plan of what they would do if they won the lottery. Now, that's a first step of actually being responsible with wealth. So you're putting a plan together. Then that would mean they would have less chance of actually blowing it. So it never ceases to amaze me that someone could go from not being able to pay their rent, say £600 rent, and then winning over a million pounds and then blow it. It's shocking. But then again, it's not really a surprise. It's because they didn't have a plan. I mean, you have to be deliberate about these things so that you don't blow that amount. It's just the same as if you came into wealth suddenly, just so that you don't blow it. Obviously, I'm not saying that you may necessarily come into wealth because I don't know your background, but I'm just saying that perchance you do 
You've got to have a plan. Have a plan, have a plan, have a plan. Planning, therefore, is of utmost importance on your wealth creation journey. The reason is that there are many companies that have attractive plans for your money. So that fast food advert isn't really solving your hunger needs, really, when you think about it. Its first priority is your money. Believe that. Which is why the ads are so attractive, so tempting, and plant a subliminal message in your mind. So all of a sudden, you're craving a burger and fries. You might not buy it that day, but maybe somewhere along the week, you do buy it. Therefore, you've helped that fast food company hit one of its targets, you spending your money. Is fast food all bad? Heck no. I've indulged in it myself, but it's been deliberate and planned for as part of my budget when I do buy fast food or when I do indulge myself in fast food. So creating wealth begins with a lot of discipline, a lot of self-discipline. So if there's nothing else you take away from this, let discipline be your foundation. So discipline, discipline, discipline. That should be your mantra. Yes, I said it. That unpleasant word everyone likes to mention, but hardly puts into action. Self-control and self-discipline will pave the way for your success. But first, it begins with your mind. So you must work on your mind so that you have the mental stamina. You have the discipline to do what you say you will do when you say you will do it. So how do you exercise your mind, you may be asking. Yes, I can hear you. Actually, I can't really. I'm not that telepathic. But I only know that if I was listening to this podcast, I would probably be asking that question. Well, how do I exercise my mind? So here are some pointers. By no means is it an exhaustive list, as I'm sure you could also add a few to grow the list. So one, be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Be real What are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? What are the things you enjoy doing? What are the things that you don't like doing? And please do not focus on the things you don't like doing because the chances are you will not be motivated enough to want to do it. So start off on the areas in your life that you do enjoy and make it be part of a discipline of yours to work on those areas that you do enjoy doing. So if it's like you like cycling, work on those areas to build your stamina in cycling. Don't set on realistic targets for yourself, such as being middle-aged and hoping to compete as an athlete in the Olympics. You know, that's almost very slim. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it's very, very slim. And chances are you could start off on a high, but you may lose motivation when you see all the work that's required. So start easy, start slow and build up your confidence in yourself at making decisions and sticking to them. Read books, particularly biographies and autobiographies. If Joe Bloggs or Jane Doe could achieve it, then so can you. It's not rocket science. If they can do it, what made them do it? Learn from their mistakes and successes by asking yourself questions as you're reading, such as where were they mentally when they made that decision? How did it, how did it feel when they made that mistake? If I was in that situation, what decisions would I have made? Ask yourself thought-provoking questions like that. After you have read several books, a theme should begin to emerge. Hopefully that these people didn't always have the perfect conditions, but they worked with what they had and made a success of it in spite of. Try to work on your self-discipline by taking gentle steps, such as if you like watching TV and have become a couch potato. So say you watch five hours of TV or YouTube, then you could reduce it by an hour and stick to it. Eventually, it'll become a habit, a good habit. Then you could extend that area of your success to other things that you might want to accomplish. 
Another way of overcoming a habit that you're not so happy about would be, it was something that someone told me and I think it does work because I've tried it. It does really work. What's the thing you abhor the most? What is the thing you despise the most? What's the thing you dislike, you hate, you just do not like at all? What is that thing? Then begin to associate it with that habit that you're trying to stop. Associate it with that habit and in your mind, gradually, there'll be a shift. I mean, you've got to practice it quite a few times. I do believe it works. It's worked for me anyway. So yeah, that might be a way of helping you desist from a habit that you're not so happy about. Don't forget to celebrate yourself. Give yourself a pat on the back. Be your own cheerleader. Learn to motivate yourself. Learn to acknowledge any accomplishments that you have made, particularly when you have set your heart to doing something and you have done it. And what I would also say is if you have the intention of starting something, you don't need to tell people about it because their reactions might actually discourage and demotivate you. So it's better you secretly do it and then hopefully they spot it and they acknowledge you as well. That may not always happen, but it could do. So the best thing is keep whatever you want to do to yourself and do it. It is better that people see you achieving it than people hearing you and then putting the pressure on you. But you said you were going to do this. You said you were going to do that. How come you haven't done it? So you don't want that pressure either. Finally, the important thing is to keep developing your mind by feeding it the right material. So just as we feed our bodies because we're hungry, we should also feed our mind because the mind also yearns for its own kind of food. Hopefully you feed it with the right material so that the mind can grow and grow and grow. So I've come to the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I did myself and hopefully I will be sharing rule two with you next week. Thanks very much for listening.